Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Recently, I stumbled upon an episode of the Carlat Psychiatry Podcast, where hosts Kelly Newsom and Chris Aiken discussed the link between bipolar and punk rock. Kelly is a mental health nurse practitioner with a keen interest in the relationship between artists and bipolar mania. Take it from me, full-fledged mania is a horrible thing and often results in hospitalization. But can lower levels of mania be harnessed to boost creativity? Why do, or did, some of the most infamous punks also live with bipolar? These are the questions Kelly has been asking after she heard about Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground playing their first show in 1966 at, of all places, a psychiatric conference in New York. Hi, I'm Kelly Newsom. I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner here in North Carolina. I'm originally from Australia and I grew up there being very fascinated with New York and the early days of Madonna's career. And I branched out into to looking at the history of that area. And when she first started, I started noticing that there was a big punk rock scene. And I became very interested in that. Like I started following different bands. Blondie, I started following um, more about Lou Reed. I started getting into um, how they became popular, where they used to play. With this podcast, one of the things that influenced us in, in doing it was some of the performers who have bipolar and how creative they are. But the first thing that really led us to it was Lou Reed's first Velvet Underground concert. That was the biggest thing that performed of all places at a psychiatric convention. And also, honestly, Ian Curtis from Joy Division. Recently, there was an article about him in one of the bipolar magazines that we subscribe to. So tell me about the podcast. When did it start? What's the purpose behind it? The Carlite Psychiatry Podcast. It actually got started probably 18 months ago. Quite a lot of time has gone by. I can't believe it's been that much. We're getting ready to approach our one millionth download. Dr. Aiken, who works here at the Mood Treatment Center, he's a bipolar expert, world-renowned for it, and has made it his life's work, and he's dedicated his time and career to that population of patients. And he was doing a podcast for Psychiatric Times. They'd asked him to do one, and then he realized, because he was involved in the Carlat Psychiatric Podcast, that this would be a really great idea to get unbiased information out there to other people in our profession because most of the information is industry sponsored. What you hear about in healthcare and especially mental health care, a lot of big pharma, you know, pay to sponsor a lot of people who work in the profession who do research. But Danny Carlat, who's the man behind the Carlat report, he's a psychiatrist that decided that we need an unbiased information. And since then, Dr. Aiken has taken over as the chief editor. I have an accent and he asked me if I would join him in the doing the podcast as a host. 
I sort of started to think was, you know, why, you know, I was a student at the time. And when he told me something about my accent, I'm like, oh, totally wants to exploit it for, you know, listeners. <laughs> but no, we work very well together and we're very good partners in this. So that's how it sort of started in a pizza restaurant in Greensboro, North Carolina, one, one evening. So what inspired the bipolar episode in regards to punk rockers who potentially had been bipolar, undiagnosed or diagnosed? Where did the idea to do that particular episode come from? Well, as I touched on before, it was mainly because that article that we found in the Bipolar magazine, it was about Ian Curtis from Joy Division. And one thing led to another, and we started reading it and how a lot of musicians have this temperament about them that sometimes goes beyond the normal performer expectations. And so it just sort of came about from there. Plus, we treat a lot of musicians where we're at. It's something that needs to be talked about, the creativity and the way they do perform. What is the, there's a very big link here with taking things a little too far in some aspects. And so we decided to talk about it. With bipolar folks, those around them, part of the trouble is, is that there's not much distinction between someone acting wild on stage and the famous Iggy Pop thing of going out and eating the peanut butter and throwing the peanut butter on people and uh, yes. you know cutting himself up and those kinds of things. And manic behavior of bipolar there's a lot of stereotypes about mania okay and a lot of stereotypes about punk rock but unfortunately those stereotypes needs to be said that they overlap so if we break them down having mania has got nothing to do with being eccentric or original or creative it's a strength creativity is a strength not a mental illness and when someone starts like psychotherapy for example we know that if they are creative and think outside the box they're going to go in a lot further in their therapy because that's what therapy challenges people to do now i said earlier about mania stepping over the line and taking things a little too far because mania actually it literally shuts down the frontal lobes the part of our brain that filters edits and helps us make judgment calls like, should I do this or not? Alcohol has the same effect. Now, I don't know what you would think or if you would agree, but our general culture, it doesn't value creativity and original thought in, in a lot of ways. So if that's the culture people are in and say you work at a bank, then wearing um, brightly colored clothes and dyeing your hair green might point to mania in those realms. But punk rockers have made a conscious decision, and I say that word conscious with intention here because the frontal lobes are where conscious decisions take place. So if they've made a conscious decision to reject the mainstream values of consumerism and conformity, then we shouldn't call their actions manic at all. So going back here, let's look at another culture that has rejected mainstream consumerism, and that's the Amish. In 1970, psychiatrists set out to the Amish country in Western Pennsylvania to study bipolar disorder. The Amish kept very good family records, so they figured they could trace the genetic origins of bipolar disorder more easily in the community. But when they arrived there, they quickly found out they had to rearrange their conception of mania. So things like vacationing at the wrong season, sometimes the Amish do that. So every culture has their lines and mania knows how to jump over them. So Every culture has lines, right? And you could say that's part of what makes a culture agreed on values about what they stand for and what they won't tolerate. So punk rock is no different. The thing about bipolar disorder, about mania, is that it causes people to cross the lines of whatever culture that they're in. So we work in the Bible Belt in North Carolina, you know, so we treat a lot of fundamentalist Christians 
one sign that they're having mania is that they'll do something destructive to the Bible, like tear the book up or throw it across the room. And this is serious for them because in their faith, doing that could send them to hell. But if a punk rock musician threw Gideon's Bible outside the hotel window, we wouldn't think much of it, really. The frontal cortex shutting off. No filter. Much like um, drinking alcohol. Yeah, hindering people from conscious decisions or at least responsible decisions. Right. That's a very freeing feeling when that comes in and there's no warnings going off to filter us or whatever. It's much like when people do drink alcohol, they drop their filter and they're just relaxed and they're just saying whatever they want. There's no conscious parameters there. And I guess the distinction with punk rock, those kinds of behaviors are accepted for the most part. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of punk rockers go into the zone when they play and all of a sudden they're thrashing around and they're what most people would say is getting out of hand. But to me, the mania within punk rock would be taking it to the point where you're not sleeping, you're abusing substances, you're causing harm to yourself, to others. So taking that one step further. Oh, absolutely. To the extreme until crash. With one of the musicians that we take care of who'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, we asked him, how can we be sure that you really have bipolar disorder? And we even said, aren't bipolar behaviors kind of normal in your line of work? Jumping into the audience, breaking amplifiers, partying all night in the hotels. And he looked at this deadpan and he said, oh, no, the things I were doing was way over the line. His bandmates were calling it quits with him. And so, see, everything just sort of starts to fall apart. It escalates and escalates till it just crashes. Without treading on the confidentiality, did he tell you what kind of things he was doing? I think it was throwing chairs in the performance was the biggest thing, just and smashing them. Chairs was a big one. Yeah, yeah. That was mainly it. I mean, we kind of got the gist there with what was happening. But all I can think of sometimes is the scenes from heavy metal stuff, you know. Ozzy Osbourne, you know, doing... (laughs) Biting the head off the bat. (laughs) Yeah, but it tends to get, it does tend to escalate with punk rock and it gets built because of the, the music. It's very exciting, though. Which is interesting because a lot of people speculate that Ozzy lives with bipolar as well. So there you go. They do, exactly. And I think back onto a lot of the performance that I've done and people saying, oh, he's such a good performer. Well, if Mania is driving that and all of a sudden I'm doing things that no one's seen in a live show before, am I a performer or am I losing myself in that? Right. Well, it's not a particular population of musicians either. I mean, I know this podcast is on punk rock, but there are a lot of poets that, for example, struggle with it as well. So you've got what's going on with punk rock, but then you've also got poets with their the beautiful lyrics that they're writing and they get caught up in that momentum of it. This is a point that I really want to get across. It's got nothing to do with the countercultural nature of punk rock. It's not people with bipolar are majoritarily doing punk rock. It's not in that aspect, so to speak, but the creativity is across the board. So I think it's just music in general, what feels very healing and and where they're at on the bipolarity index and or what mood they're in there, whether it's a depressed mood or the escalated manic mood. They hit the peak there. Even their performances mimic sort of the disorder itself because after they've had that escalation and things, you know, get heightened or whatever, then there's always the crash and you see afterward, after the show, after the tour, like where they come from and where they're coming from is always slipping into it seems like a negative depressed state in some ways. You know, it's when they're performing, they're, they're loving it. But after the show, it mimics a lot and you, you can come down. I'm thinking of Kurt Cobain. 
how wild he was on stage and then, of course, yeah. depressed and then suicide. Right, exactly. But, you know, then there's, if it's bipolar one or bipolar two, you know, if they're having the euphoric mania versus if they're having, you know, the irritability, that kind of thing, because that can turn into, you know, uncontrolled anger and things like that. So we're kind of touching on the idea that creative people, musicians, artists, mm -hmm. for the most part, maybe have higher rates of mental health issues. I know that Kay Redfield Jameson had the Touch With Fire book, and that was her whole thesis. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on that, especially when it comes to punks and musicians? Well, most people, yeah, with bipolar, um, incredibly creative. They have a flow that comes through. If they tap into it, they can really express what it is because they lose that filter, and so there's nothing holding them back. They can get focused for days, like, you know, with the sleep and the mania isn't, you know, it keeps them from sleeping in some ways. So days can go by so they can really harness that and focus and it's, it's coming in fast, a lot of them racing thoughts and that fast energy stream. And so it's pouring out of them and a lot of them, they love that feeling. And it's really hard, you know, to medicate or to come back down neutral because, Nobody likes that feeling as much as when they're heightened creative and when they're performing and when they're in their moment. And then the crash happens, obviously, and then life, they don't like eventually life to continue that way. So then they usually come and seek help because life stopped working for them or damage has been done in punk rock or, you know, they end up drugs or making poor choices and things just end up getting out of hand. And so the sleep is a big component, but yeah, a lot of them don't like to take the medication. It brings the creative flow down and hinders that process in a way. A lot of them feel that like they don't know how to tap into that and be as creative and it doesn't feel as good. And so a lot of them probably are untreated and that's why you still see the performances like you do because they're creative. It's part and parcel of it. And I think there's a different kind of creativity that comes out of being stable as well. There is. Mm -hmm. Potentially maybe not as let's say shocking but potentially even more creative and effective and measured. Yeah, it's not as wild punk rock, but there's lots of punk rock that's very intentional and intelligent. Well, with mania, it also exaggerates some of the traits that make us human. So people with mania, for example, in the performing arts, they're more warm, they're engaging, they're charismatic, and they have that stage presence. And so it can pull in crowds and... Sometimes they have really strong leadership skills as well, but without that filter and without that normal bringing down that mania, they're never able to manage it effectively and become that leader. And they're often looked down upon, which I think that punk rock has been given that connotation in a way over the years, like it's sort of been judged as that. But now that we're getting more information out there and, and bipolar is more accessible information about it people know that it, treatment is good and then they can still continue you know the work that they do it's just done from a different plane almost yeah. has to be harnessed differently from my experience all of the positive attributes of leadership and charisma strong emotions creativity all those things that i was dealing with and celebrating were always counteracted by problematic behavior uh, whether it was stuff that no one knew about or stuff that it was peeking out in public. So I guess musicians living with bipolar, there must be a bit of a ticking time bomb with that in some ways. 
totally yeah slipping in the deepest despair of all you know and then we're then we're self-medicating and a whole other ball game you know so i think that with medication and everything it can bring the extreme down and it can bring the depression up and then people can manage it a little bit more without the ups and downs of everything but they it doesn't mean that they're any less creative it just means that that feeling of that heightened is not as exaggerated the depressions are bad but you think about it though performers it's very interesting isn't it we read about punk rock we read about them musicians who struggle who commit suicide in that dark way of living and it's almost like the public in my opinion they want to read about these things and i think there's some piece of it here where we not paint them out to be heroes but legends and because of their their depression or I don't know there's an interest for Americans or across the world even in Australia where I grew up and like that dark side they want to read about it and then you've got these performers who are tapping into the character of it all you know and they're living the performances how can we have society accept that it's not what we want I don't know if that's where I struggle there's a glamorization of it Mm -hmm. some guests on the podcast have talked about how dangerous that can be that There's this tendency for us to glamorize things like leaping into a drum kit and smashing it all down and breaking our hand or whatever the case may be. That's glamorized. And I really love that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that punk rock is one of the only places where you can see people that are just so in it that they're willing to take those kinds of risks. But if it's to be glamorized, then it almost encourages it to the point where it doesn't become strong anymore or dangerous it's just what can you do next well i don't see it any different than some of the other genres in a way like i think that like a lot of them can be destructive if things aren't managed like you look at even country music i mean there's a lot of drinking and pubs and bars and cheating and getting depressed and and all of that kind of stuff i mean a lot of people identify with that and they they're singing like the country song. It's, it's, I think we have to keep it in perspective here, but most Americans, you know, look down on sometimes on music as a career choice in general. I don't know, but yet they value the musical product, so to speak, in their kind of weird, eccentric way. People want the best of humanity and they want to capture that. They want to capture the best of humanity, but then these other things that are sort of outside the norm, the regular genre of things, it sort of gets judged very harshly. And then they must have a mental illness or whatever it is because they're not fitting in a mainstream. But yet they're the creative ones and, you know, they're the ones that keep them enthralled. And I don't know, I'm not necessarily opposed to the mania piece of it with that because it's it brings them creative outflow that's quite unique. But scaling it down and medicating it and learning how to manage it and so that they can live quality lives and be outstanding performers is very challenging but absolutely doable for me scale of zero to plus 10 plus 10 being in the hospital i like to be around a two or a three because being a zero sucks it's flat boring even to be punk rock in my everyday life just with the attitudes that i have and the beliefs and the energy that i bring i have to be a two or a three But if I get up to a seven or eight or a nine, then... Yeah, it's too far. I mean, you think about bands, punk rock bands and everything. They're writing, you know, they're getting up, they're performing, and they're getting into that flow. I think a two or a three would be acceptable because how can they cross that edge? How can they keep that edge? How can they be exciting compared to others? It does give them that ability to push things beyond the normal that 
keeps everybody entertained, that which is what they're wanting to do. I think they're going into it to be expressive, to entertain, to get their mission and message across, to feel that expression. And if a little bit of it is giving them that, I wouldn't deny anybody that because that's the, the uniqueness. And I think that's why we have a lot of performers in the world and artists that do have bipolar and why they do succeed, why the majority are, because it gives them that extra edge, no filter to go beyond you know what I'm saying so without that what would we have it's very beautiful in a way because look at what it brings to the world and I'm not surprised that the majority of performers are that because how many times do people who don't have bipolar they're drinking they drop their filter or whatever it is and this is something to relate to when we're all having our times a lot of zeros I guess <laughs> you know yeah so I think it does give people the edge to be successful Everybody else was putting out the same stuff as normal or anything. And punk rock is sort of under the umbrella of, you know, the wildness of it all. People can really let that go and, and just say that, oh, this is me being a punk rock performer. You know, they're, they're getting so in, involved in the character at all. The ones that, how do we know? Yeah, like you said, if it was mania or not, but it's when it really crosses the lining. That's when it, it does get a little violent. When it comes to the punk rock scene... It's always been a place for outcasts and weirdos, and, and I mean that in a good way. I said that a few times on the podcast. It's a good thing. From my experience, what I've seen and the people that I've been involved with in the scene have come from uh, whether it's trauma or whether they've been marginalized or they've been discriminated against or they're stigmatized. And so to me, it makes a lot of sense that people that are already predisposed to loud music and the energy of punk rock would find that scene and feel a comfort in it or a safety. There is, because I think it's important. You touched on it, you know, with trauma, does it exacerbate it or anything like that? Because genetic studies, they've confirmed this, that it's when they look at the family histories of people with bipolar disorder, it looks like the same genes that give rise to bipolar also give rise to those leadership skills and the creative and musical talent. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a judgment around it because how many leaders and that we have out there that have bipolar. I just think it's focused on targeted a little more because of the music. But we've still have a lot of other people who have mania that's reckless that aren't performing. So it's a genetic thing in a lot of ways. You've done some study on psychosis, specifically psychosis that comes from acute mania. And I'm wondering about the link between creativity and being a musician and creating the song, songwriting. Mm -hmm. Again, what's the line there? The line is the lifestyle. The line is not sleeping. The line is not managing your circadian rhythm. The line is getting caught up in the sleepless nights, the writing, the atmosphere, the escalation of it all, and more nights that go by when we're not sleeping. The risk for, to have psychotic episodes is just greater and greater and greater and another thing is if they are taking their medicine and all of a sudden they stop so a lot of people have mania they struggle with taking their medicines because they miss that creative feeling and so they'll stop it and then they'll have a great flow and then they'll hit the depths of depression and then they'll be like I need to come back on my medicine because when they're feeling good they forget how bad they were it's the sleeping it's the lifestyle it's living that it's knowing that that needs to be scaled back and managed a lot more effectively and then that won't be less likely to have psychosis one of the things about mania, I'm sure you know this from your studies as well, when someone's in a manic state, no one can really talk them down. They're basically plowing forward. And that strikes me as well, being in a band, playing punk shows, 
maybe going over the line with certain behaviors, but also just with your bandmates and trying to live with them. And they're seeing, like you mentioned, the the fellow that you had come in and mm-hmm. had said that his band was going to get rid of him because they couldn't talk to him. Right. No, they can't. Very rapid speech, sometimes and very insisting, loud, and you can't get a word in. It can be very, very challenging to try to talk them down, very challenging to even just get a word in because, yeah, there is no telling them. And a lot of them just, they like that state because of the creative flow. It does cause a lot of harm, yes. causes a lot of problems and the bands end up breaking up because things get broken, concerts get cancelled, crashes happen, things just get out of hand. Especially with mania, just with bipolar in general, I think this is why we see a lot of the performance with bipolar The studies have found that people with that disorder, they have above average verbal abilities, you know, so they know more words and they use them more effectively. Do you know in some ways how playing and listening to music benefits people with bipolar? I know for me, when I'm creative and playing and listening to music, it regulates my moods. I think it's something to do with the momentum. You know, I think it's a lot to do with the fast energy that's coming in, you know, and if they find something that they can unleash that with, with music, it gives them a a feeling that there's an expression that needs to take place. And music is very personal, it's healing. and, And so this gives them this outlet that they can perform, they can not hold it in and get, you know, so restless and pacing. It's just a a healthier way to manage it. Some debate around whether Ian Curtis from Joy Division was living with bipolar. What's your opinion? Yep, absolutely. I think a lot of the great ones did. Yeah, a lot of them did only because, you know, listen to the lyrics. I mean, what they're writing about. And, you know, even in punk rock, I mean, they have the, the escalations in that music and it takes them up. Punk rock music is very, to me, mirrors just the disorder itself in so many ways because of the peaks and the crashes. And it's just, it's very interesting. And even the endings of them, it's just such a beautiful metaphor in so many ways. That was my conversation with Kelly Newsom of the Carlat Psychiatry Podcast. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well.